0: Good morning, GYC Northwest. How's everybody doing? Good. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for the time to gather together. And Lord, it's really too late in our history to come to a meeting like this and leave the same way that we came. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would rain down upon us, that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive you. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36. This is an incredible... Now, the main passage that we're that we're focusing on this week is in Hosea, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, about the latter reign. But the book of Hosea, as we mentioned yesterday, is the story of the prophet Hosea for some 70 to 90 years, preaching to the house of Judah and to the house of Israel, and Israel ends up falling away, but yet God is doing everything he can through, through the prophet Hosea to try to bring the people of God back to him. But we're looking at our first passage this morning is in Ezekiel chapter 36, and it is the picture of of God's people leaving him, that that they're scattered throughout, they're dispersed throughout the lands for their sins, though they've turned away from God. And it says in Ezekiel chapter 36, this is incredible, notice with me in verse 19. Verse 19 says, and I scattered them. The house of Israel. And I scattered them among the heathen, and they were dispersed through the countries. According to their way and according to their doings, I judged them. So the, the Israelites become scattered because of their sins. They're separated from God. They have to go forth, and they are, they are you know, led astray. And it says in verse 20, And when they entered unto the heathen, the non-believers, the Gentiles, When they entered unto the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name when they said to them, these are the people of the Lord and are gone forth out of his land. Meaning, because the Israelites had turned away from God, because they had transgressed his name, they're scattered abroad throughout all the nations. And then these people look at these the Israelites and they say, these are the people of God? Look at these people. Look at their lifestyle. These are the people of the Lord of Jehovah. And so they profane God's holy name by their lifestyle. By their life, by their actions, they profane God's name. Now what happens in verse 21? God says, but I had pity for my holy name. Which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. Therefore... Say unto the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the heathen, whither you went. So get the picture. Israel, the Israelites have totally failed. They've turned away from God. They've run after idolatry. And they've, so as they have sought their idols, then they went to the heathen, to the uh, Assyrians for help. And then they once again just laid a burden of tax upon them. And so at this point, here they are amongst the heathen. They profane God's holy name. And God says, I'm going to do something. And not for your sake, O house of Israel, but I'm going to do this for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the heathen. Now what does he say he's going to do? It says in verse 23. He says and I will sanctify I will make holy my great name which was profaned among the heathen which you have profaned in the midst of the heathen of them and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord says the Lord when I shall be sanctified what in you before their eyes what a statement Get the picture. God is saying, listen, you failed, you turned away from me, you were a terrible witness amongst the people around you, to your own family, to the heathen, to the non-believers, to the people that were not of your faith. You were total failure. You turned away from me and you, as it were, blasphemed my name. You profaned my name amongst the world around you. You utterly and totally failed. And God says, but I'm going to be sanctified in the eyes of the people, all those people around you. I'm going to be made holy in their eyes. And how is that going to happen? He says, I'm going to sanctify my great name when I am sanctified in you. Meaning God is saying, listen, you have failed utterly and and you're doing terrible. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the loser. I'm going to take the failure.'" And I'm going to take that individual, and as I change your life, your changed life will reveal to the world around you that I am holy, that I am God. Isn't that beautiful? So here he is telling the Israelites, you know, yes, you're going to turn away or you, you have turned away, but I can take you, a broken vessel, and I can put you back together. I can put life within you. I can fill you up so that you are filled with me. And as I fill you, then your life will be changed. But it's not just for your sake. I am doing this to reveal my name, my character, my glory to the world. And I'm going to use the underdog. The one who has failed, the one who has not succeeded, I am willing, God says, to use you even though you have not succeeded. Isn't that beautiful? Because I think most of us, you know, if you were like a boss of a company and you had people that failed that bad, you would just want to fire them. You would just want to get rid of them. You would say, hey, you know, come on, why why am I going to waste my time with you? But God doesn't work that way. God always knows the potential of what could happen in your life. God always knows that potential. And He sees it and He works with you. He doesn't turn away from you. He's seeking you over and over. Now, this is the picture we get of the house of Israel. And I believe this is also a picture of God's people in the last days. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hosea. Back to our uh, main passage for this week. Hosea chapter 6. And we're going to begin in verse 1. These three verses are the main verses that we are looking at. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 1. Remember, even the, the chapter before, Israel turns away from God. They go to the Assyrians. And then God, uh, you know, He punishes them. And then it says in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 1, Come, and let us return unto the Lord, for He has torn, and He will heal us. He is smitten, and He will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. So when we come unto him, he will raise us up. He will lift us up. In the third day, he will resurrect us, as it were. And verse 3 says, Then, then shall we know if, if, that's the big, that is what it's contingent on. God will raise us up if it is your choice. If. We follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and the former rain unto the earth. Two of the main themes that you see in the book of Hosea. Number one, we looked at yesterday, and that was a harlot woman who is with a holy husband And she runs off as an adulteress upon her husband, Gomer. This is the picture of Israel. Really, this is the picture, I think, of most every Christian at some point in their walk. Turning away from God. And yet God has the picture, listen, you've messed up, you've been a terrible witness, you feel like a failure, you recognize you don't deserve my grace and mercy, but God says, I'm going to use you if you'll come unto me again. I will use you no matter how deep, no matter how deep the hole that you may have dug and you may have fallen into. I will raise you up, the text says. I will lift you back up. I will buy you back just as, as Hosea had to buy his own wife back from her lover. God says, "I will buy you back. I will purchase you as, as a slave from your slavery. I will bring you back." So you have these two themes. You have this marriage theme that goes on, like, you know, like a thread throughout the book of Hosea. But then the second one you see is one that has to do with farming, farming, gardening taking care of the trees and and receiving the fruit in the latter rain that rains down. And it gives, well, the early rain gives life at the beginning of the season so that the seed germinates. At the end, you have the, you know, fruit coming forth with the latter rain after the latter rain falls. So you have these two symbols going on in the book of Hosea. Now look with me in chapter 10 and verse 12 as this second theme continues on. In Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12, what does it say? Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12 says, Sow to yourselves in what? Righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord. Till he come and reign what? Righteousness upon you. So what is the latter rain bringing to God's people? It is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is God raining down His Holy Spirit. But in this case, it says that He rains down His what on us? His righteousness. Now, when you read through the New Testament about righteousness by faith, it's interesting because righteousness by faith a very—I mean—one of the most important subjects you could possibly think of in the Bible. You know, just just a quick side note: that what is what is righteousness? Well, righteousness must have to do with something good, obviously. But you know, the Bible says uh, in First John chapter five and verse seventeen: "All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin that is not unto death. All unrighteousness is sin." First John chapter three verse four says, "Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law." So sin is transgression of the law. So sin is breaking the law. Unrighteousness is sin. That means unrighteousness is breaking the law, right? Well, then if if breaking the law is unrighteousness, and unrighteousness is the opposite of righteousness, then righteousness would be keeping the law. The law. The trouble is on our own we don't have the capacity to do that. Now the text we just read in Hosea chapter 10 tells us that God, it says, he wants our fallow ground to be broken up. So the ground of our lives, the soil of our hearts, the soil of our lives has been unworked for years. It's like a field that, has, that nobody's taken care of. The fence has fallen down, you know, the soil is, I mean, there's just weeds growing everywhere. And God says, I want to, I want to break up the fallow ground, the ground that has not been worked in your life life, and he says, I want to rain down righteousness upon you, meaning that you as this this fallow ground, you need something that you don't personally have, meaning within your heart, like Paul said in Romans 7 verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Paul said, Listen, the experience of humanity in our unregenerate state is that we have nothing good of ourselves, and even when we're converted, we have nothing good of ourselves. All things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. Meaning the good that we receive actually comes from God. You follow? Because in me, and I know that what, what is in me, that no good thing dwells. How do I know? Because i tried i 've tried on my own to do the right thing, and actually uh, when I first became an Adventist for a number of, for a number of years, uh, I actually thought I was a good person, and then God uh, showed me the reality, and I came to my senses by the grace of God, you know He revealed to me, Chad, you were an utter and just despicable sinner, and it came to my heart and i 'm glad that he finally showed me that because I was you know just an absolute Pharisee, to be honest with you but even in that, I was still seeking the Lord, I got to say to you know, I, mean, I was seeking to know the Lord, but there was this real Pharisaic you know, streak within me. But nevertheless, God revealed to me that you are a sinner. That you are the chief of sinners. And I'm glad that he gave me that experience. And God began to break up the fallow ground. I'm nowhere near where I need to be. But I at least began to realize, I know that in me dwells no good thing. God wants to break up this fallow ground. He began to do that in my life. And he wants to rain righteousness upon us because we don't have it in and of ourselves. He wants to give us something that we do not have of ourselves. And the New Testament tells us that is the righteousness of faith. Or it says it's the righteousness of Christ. Or it says it's the righteousness of God by faith. As you read the writings of Paul, he talks about this over and over. That we need, see, because even if we stopped sinning today, would we deserve to go to heaven in 10 years if Jesus came back? No, why? Because the wages of sin is death. We could never make up for our former sins. We could never make up for our former sins. But we need to have a perfect righteousness, the righteousness of God. Now, if God gave me, if Jesus gave me his righteousness, if at the cross he took all of my sin, my sorrow, my burdens, my shame upon him at the cross, he took that from me. And then in response gives me a robe of righteousness that not only covers me, but fills my heart with his righteousness. Then we are covered and now we have the righteousness of God. Ellen White says we should not worry about what the Father and the Son think of us, but what the Father thinks of Christ, our substitute. If Jesus, if I know that he has taken my place and by faith I am walking with him, I can trust that he will cover me, that as the text says, he will rain his righteousness upon us. He will reign his righteousness. That's, what it, that's this, this theme that runs through the book of Hosea. Not only the marital theme and the, the adulterous theme of, of Hosea, but also the, the agricultural theme that runs through the book of Hosea. So here we have it. Sow to yourselves right, in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord. Till he come and reign righteousness upon you. Flip with me to the last chapter of Hosea. The last chapter of Hosea continues this theme of, of this agricultural theme in the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 14, we're going to begin now in verse 1. Remember, Israel is the one that has turned away from God. And Hosea finishes the book with, instead of saying, yeah, you're just going to turn away, you're going to be lost. Instead of that, he gives them hope at the end. It says in chapter 14, verse 1, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for you have fallen by your iniquity. Take with you words, come to the Lord with words, and turn to the Lord and say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously so we will render the calves of our lips, meaning that you will come to God with the sacrifices of your lips, and you will say, God, I'm I'm sorry. I've been turning from you. I've fallen into sin. Come to God with the sacrifices, the calves of your lips, asking for forgiveness. In verse 2, Asher, the Assyrians shall not save us. People of the world will not save us. Relationships of the world will not bring us peace and joy and, and contentment and safety as the Israelites were looking for in the Assyrians. Asher will not save us. We will not ride upon horses, neither will we say any more to the work of our hands, to our idols, ye are our gods. For in thee the fatherless find mercy. No, we're going to turn away, but you know, Hosea says turn away from your idols. Don't cling anymore to safety from the world. Don't go after your idols, the things in this world that you have put before God. Verse 4, I will heal their what? Backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger is turned away from me. God says he will heal your backsliding. As you in verse, as it says in verse one, as you return to the Lord, as you seek his face, God will heal your backsliding. As you spend time looking at Jesus, do you spend time looking at Jesus? Do you spend time in personal devotions? you spend time looking at the Savior, not just quickly reading over a page, but actually taking time to think about Jesus' life, what it means to you on a personal level. And as you look at the life of Jesus, as you behold him on the cross, as you behold the scenes of his life from, from the manger to Calvary, as you behold his life, he can heal your back slidings. Because he He draws from your heart a love for Him that deepens and deepens so that He becomes first and foremost in your life. And through that, He can heal your backslidings. It goes on to say, verse 5, I will be as the dew unto Israel. Here is this agricultural theme coming back. I will be as the dew unto Israel. And it says, He shall grow as the lily and cast forth His what? Roots as Lebanon. So God will become like dew to us. He will, we will grow as the lily and he, he will cast forth our roots like as Lebanon or his roots as Lebanon. Now it's interesting. Some of you may have heard, uh, how many of you have ever heard of the Ellen White tree planting method? Have you ever heard of that before? So most of you have, right? It's such a beautiful thing. And what's very neat about it, too, is, you know, LNY talks about it. She says that she was given this by an angel. And uh, if, you have, if you haven't watched it, like, on YouTube, go watch it on YouTube. Type in LNY Tree Planting Method. And, uh, see, we, I, the first time I ever saw it was a number of years ago. I don't know, uh, 10 years ago or so. And it was in, in California. What was the name of the area? Placerville, California, we were, we were up there, and there's a man by, by, with the last name of Hoag up there, and he planted four trees, and uh, he, he did three of them the way that the Forestry Service plants them, and then he did one of them, the Ellen White tree planting method. And it was, it was incredible to see, because we saw it three years after the fact that, that he, had, he had already planted them with the, with the children with the, uh, you know, from the church there. They did it on the church grounds, and he, he had done it since he was 12 or 13 years old. And he had been doing this for year, you know, year after year he had been doing this. But here he was doing it with the kids at church just to show them what happens. So the three trees he plants, like the Forestry Service, the one tree is the Ellen White tree planting method. And what happened was the three that were done by the, like the Forestry Service method, they were, after three years, about as thick as my finger. And they were maybe about, you know, one was maybe like this tall, one was about this tall, and one was like maybe, maybe about like that. And, but like I said, they were about as thick as my finger and maybe a little bit bigger. And the, one, the tree planting, the one that was planted according to Grandma White's tree planting method, after three years, instead of it being as thick as my finger, it was about this thick. Literally about that thick, and it was like 10 feet tall. And it was just filled with branch. I mean, the branches were just incredible. The other one look like, uh, maybe you didn't grow up watching that, but Charlie Brown Christmas trees, you know? Like tiny little ridiculous trees. And yet the Ellen White method made this beautiful tree within the same amount of time. I mean, when you think of this to this, this is not like twice as big. This is like 20 times as big, right? Within the same amount of time. Now, what is the key to it? I mean, this talks about the roots growing as the roots of Lebanon. One of the key features of this planting method is that a hole is to be dug, right? The, the hole is dug, but it's not just like a little hole in the ground that fits the little root system. Instead, what is it? It's like three feet wide by three feet deep. And is it, is it work to dig a three foot by three foot hole? If you don't think so, you've never dug a hole. It's a super workout. My wife and I, uh, the Lord blessed last year. We bought, bought some land out in the country. We were from, I'm originally from Michigan and we wanted to go back and be able to spend some time with the family and so forth. And so we bought some land out in the country and last fall we were digging, you know, digging up the fallow ground, the ground that is laid, I mean, just for just about ever this this area just in a forest so we're digging up uh, digging up and so we're digging these holes you know three foot by three foot and they ended up probably being even bigger I, I you know I have this problem with you know if if that good is bit good you know or if, if that big is good maybe more is even better and so you dig these and it was it was the end of September and in Michigan the end of September should be cold but strangely enough it was 90 degrees still at that time of year which is very unusual for the fall in Michigan. And so we're, we're digging these holes and I'm just like sweating, you know, from head to toe and whatever. Um, but it's such an enjoyable experience, isn't it? It's such an, I mean, even though it's super hard work, you know, you're sweating like crazy, uh, you know, since you haven't done it in, you know, forever, you're all sore, but it was just such a great experience. But as those roots go out, because you fill it in with wonderful soil and compost, and, and you put some rocks in the bottom, and there's, there's a whole process. You can just, you know, Google LY tree planting method. You can see the chart on how to do it. But what happens is those... Those roots, you may plant a little tree. I mean, most, of, actually, some of the trees, we planted these trees called pawpaw trees. Um, and they were, you know, they started off maybe so big or this big. Um, and then, but then we also planted some apple trees that were, you know, five, six feet tall or whatever. But one of the amazing things is they, how those roots, because you have put in this nice soil and a nice compost, it's, it's broken up so well that those roots just... Whoosh, And because those roots spread out so well, so easily, it's not an effort. Because the ground isn't full of, you know, rocky substances or or harsh, dry ground. But this nice soil is there. And as the roots grow out, it makes it so that those trees, uh, as Herbert Clarence White, Ellen White's grandson, he even wrote a book on this. He wrote a book about it. What you find is that, well, actually, I'll just read it to you. This is incredible. In this book, actually, he didn't write this book. He wrote another book. I, I have the book he wrote. But this particular book right here is called The Complete Book of Composting, and it's written by J.L. Rodale. So this is not a Christian book. This is totally a secular book, but they tell you that, that planting Ellen White's tree planting method is an incredible way to grow trees. So the secular people say, you ought to try this. Notice what they say. This is incredible when they're writing about it. When organic expert Herbert Clarence White, they don't say the grandson of Ellen White, but that's uh, Herbert Clarence White uh, of Paradise, California, plants a tree, he doesn't even glance at the little instruction sheet that the nursery sent with the stock. He proceeds to plant the tree using an unusual method handed down to him by his grandmother years ago. Grandma White's method, I love it, Grandma White, that's what she gets called. Grandma White's method has worked so well for Herbert over the years that he has used it to plant hundreds, possibly thousands, of trees. He has seen fruit trees planted by Grandma White's method grow, show three or four feet of new growth in a year and start bearing crops in only a couple of seasons. Normally it takes years, like, you know, four, five, six years for, for trees to bring forth their, their you know, fruit. But with this method, it goes very, very rapidly. And what happens? It says you start out by digging a three foot wide and three foot deep in which you plant your young tree. And then he goes on to explain the whole process. And I'm not not here to... This is not a message on how to do the whole process. But just the idea of how it works. But then at the end of it, he says this. He says, does all this sound too weird and grotesque? Too utterly fantastic? If so... Far be it from me to try to convince you. Then he says, But if you're just a wee bit interested in watching a miracle, just try it out on one little tree, following the planting plan as indicated in the diagram carefully, and it will be hard for you to believe your own eyes when that baby tree starts growing. Isn't that beautiful? Even the secular world is like, wow, Grandma, Grandma White had a great method of planting trees. Isn't that incredible? Amen. And here's the thing. One of the aspects, of, now obviously there's multiple you know, aspects to it, but one of that, the beautiful aspects is that the roots are able to go out. You know, we have the story in Mark chapter 4 uh, about the four soils. The parable of the four soils, right? You have the rocky ground, you know, the st- or the way- first you have the wayside here, the ones who, they're planted, you know, by the wayside and the fowls of the air came, the birds come and devour it up. Then you have the stony ground here, the ones who, they spring up early, but they have no root. The roots can't sink down, and so persecution comes and they're taken away. Then you have those that are th- grown among thorns. So there's weeds in the area, and they choke it, and it becomes unfruitful. But then you have the good ground hearers. And the good ground, the roots can can dig deep. They can make connection under the soil. And one of the things that many people don't realize about the Christian life is they look at somebody who's spiritual. And they look at them, and you actually sometimes think, that's just who he is. That's just who she is. That's just kind of their character, that's kind of their nature, and that's just the way they are. But here's the thing. What you forget is that as you look at the tree, and the tree is growing up so big and so tall and so beautiful, you forget that so much of the effort to become big, tall, and beautiful actually takes place in the dark. It takes place in an area that no one can see. You, do not, you are not naturally a spiritual person. By nature, just as Paul said, I can of my own, or actually Jesus said, I can of my own self do nothing. As Paul said, for I know that in me, that is in my, my flesh, dwells no good thing. Meaning that if somebody has a beautiful life spiritually, it is not because of what you see on the outside, it is what took place in the dark where nobody was watching. It is because of their personal connection with their Savior Jesus Christ, spending time daily in His Word. Spending time daily on their knees in prayer. Spending time in the dark is what actually brings light to your life. And with these trees, what you do not see is you do not see that root system that enables them to grow so big, to grow so large, and to go from, you know, this big to this big, right? And it can happen very fast also. It can happen very fast if we have that time in secret with God. God can have our roots grow deep. You may be weak. You may say, I can't do it. But God tells you, with men, it is impossible. But not with God. For with God, all things are possible. God's so good, isn't he? Isn't it? Side note. God teaches us how to breathe in the spirit of prophecy. Tells us how to have good posture. Tells us how to overcome depression. Tells us how to live a kind life with our family. Tells us how to eat. Tells us how to sleep. And tells us how to plant trees. He tells us everything. He did the same thing with Israel. Yes or no? He taught them how to do everything, but then I think we had gotten so far, we had gotten so far from God that he actually had to kind of like tell us all over again. And he had to give us a lot more details at the end of time. He's like, okay, the Bible is a big book. It takes, I mean, if you read like three or four chapters a day, it takes you a whole year to get through this book. But you read three or four chapters of the Spirit of Prophecy, and it takes you forever to get through it all, right? You know, God has given us all this information and if we just reach out, I mean, I talked about being depressed yesterday, but it wasn't until I found something in the spirit of prophecy that found the answer to my problem. You know, I share with you, it happened to be for me, it happened to have this gut-brain connection issue that God has given us all this information. And I, I love the fact that he's given all this to us, and, but I've gotten too far off subject. Let me get back to our message, sorry. Praise the Lord for his, his light that he has shed upon us in this generation. I didn't want to receive it in the beginning of my experience, but I'm so glad that God kept working on my hardened heart. Back to our passage. Read with me back in verse 5. Hosea 14, verse 5. I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall be spread, and his beauty shall be as the olive tree... And his smell as Lebanon. You know, so notice it says, "Your if your roots go out, like in verse 5, if your roots go out, then your branches can spread. And by the way, what's the purpose of having branches that go out? What do you ultimately want to have on those branches? Fruit, right? I am the vine, ye are the branches. What comes between the vine and the fruit? What is between those two things? A branch. See, we can either come between the fruit that God wants to bring about in our lives, or we can stay connected to the vine that the fruit may come. You follow? We can either come between it, and stop the fruit from going. Or we can cling to the vine. We can cling to our Savior. We can behold His life. We can talk to Him. He can become the most beautiful thing in our experience. Or we, be, or we come in between. This was the trouble for Israel. But they didn't have to separate from Him. He was telling them, listen, we can do this. We can be connected. We can bring forth fruit. Just stick with me. Stick to me. And everything will be okay. So it says in verse 6, his branches shall spread, his beauty shall be as the olive tree. Now keep in mind, the illustration of Hosea is you are Gomer. Even the name is not pretty. Have you, you know, do people name their child Gomer anymore? No, nobody wants to be Gomer. What's your name? Gomer. You know, nobody wants that. But God is saying to Gomer, he's saying to Chad, he's saying to us. You've turned away from me, but I want your roots to grow deep. I'll rain down upon you like like the dew. I'll come down upon you like the dew. I will water gently upon you. Your roots will go deep. Your branches will spring forth. And then he says, his beauty shall be as the olive tree. Your life had become ugly from your sin. But I will make you beautiful again. I will make you beautiful again. And then it says... And your smell will be as Lebanon. Anybody been here to Lebanon? Did you go up in the trees? Does it smell good up there? I have no idea. I've never been there. But I've been to the Black Hills of South Dakota. And to me, there's no sweeter smelling place on the planet than the Black Hills of South Dakota. It is amazing. It is like a heavenly scent that just comes out of the Ponderosa Pines and maybe from, you know, some of the brush on the ground. But it it is like a heavenly smell. So I imagine maybe the cedars of Lebanon were like that. Maybe, I don't know. I'm sure it was different, but just the the experience that you have. It literally feels, when, when I'm in the Black Hills, I feel like I'm on holy ground. I feel like I'm on holy ground. Just this morning, I came out of the house that we're staying in, you know, 10 minutes away from here, and the sun had just come out, and it literally felt like a holy experience to me. You know, the Bible said, I'm not righteous, but the Bible says to the righteous, all things are righteous. But to the unconverted, all things are evil to him. But when God begins to change your life, you begin to see the beauty and the glory of God all around you, in nature, in the things of this life, in God's wisdom in his creation. You begin to see his beauty all over the place. And God can turn your life from something ugly. As the roots grow deep and the branches grow out, your life becomes beautiful. And even your scent is incredible. That people begin when they're around you, that there's even an aroma of something beautiful. It talks about that in the New New Testament. It mentions the very same thing. That we become a savor of life unto life. When people around us, it's like they smell something different. Not literally, but there's this, something is left behind even after we walk out of the room. And at that point, it's a good smell. Before, maybe our life stunk, right? But God wants to bring forth a beautiful smell from our lives. And it says in verse 7, They that dwell under the shadow, under his shadow, shall return. They shall revive as the corn... And grow as the vine, the scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. So once again, we have this picture that we're under the shadow. Maybe maybe in Israel there was just too much sun and you need to be under the shadow and the corn could revive because it would then have enough water in it. And so here we have this picture. We will grow as the vine. Verse 8. Ephraim shall say, what have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree, for from me is your what? Fruit found. Notice where God finishes with with Hosea. In, In his message from Hosea to the Israelites, he says, In me is your fruit found. If you stay connected to me, I will bring forth fruit in your life. I will bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I will give you this experience. You may have had just the opposite. Your life may have been a life of sin. You may have been a failure. Just as we read in in Ezekiel chapter 36, he says, you have failed. You have turned away from me. You have blasphemed my name among the heathens, he said in in Ezekiel 36. He said, you profaned my name among the heathen. You're a failure. But he says, but what I'm going to do, O house of Israel, is for my holy name's sake, for my own character's sake, God said, I'm going to do something unbelievable. I'm going to reveal to the world my character, my glory, my name, and I'm going to do it through you who have turned against me. When I fill you with my righteousness, then I'm going to reveal to the world what I'm really all about. I'm going to make you like a a beautiful tree, like we read in Psalms chapter 1. Blessed is the man, right? that walketh not in the counsel of the the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight, his joy, is in God's word. In, In his law shall he meditate day and night. When I first began to read the word of God, I did not enjoy it. That is not unusual. That's normal. But as I spent day after day, week after week, month after month, God gave, began to give me a love for his word. It is not natural to love the things of God. But if, like Hosea chapter 6 verse 3 says, if you follow on to know the Lord. Do not give up because you had a week devotions today. Or tomorrow. Or the next day. If you follow on to know the Lord. He shall rain down his righteousness upon you. He will bring forth the former and the latter rain. If you follow on day by day. To get to know Jesus. Don't give up. Don't give up and you don't know maybe you feel like you got nothing out of your devotions today But it may not be for you. Maybe what you read today next week You will be able to share with somebody who's hurting and suffering and the devotions you had today will actually be for the life of somebody else Sometimes it gives you strength. Sometimes it is for others, but all of the time you may not see the growth But god is working in your heart Take that time so your roots can grow deep. Spend time in the dark so that you may come forth in the light. God wants us to have this experience. And what does he say? He says, from me is your fruit found. Ezekiel told us, I'm going to use you even though you failed. It's, It's as if to me, he's saying in Ezekiel, he's saying, listen, the Laodicean church is a bunch of failures. They have fallen asleep. How many of the the bridesmaids fall asleep? The virgins all fall asleep. But some of them are going to cling to the Holy Spirit. They're going to realize, they're going to take with them the Holy Spirit. And yes, we may have been sleeping, but Lord, help us to wake up. Let's spend time daily in His Word, seeking His face, seeking for the Holy Spirit to come down, and He can rain righteousness upon us. And as He does, we can receive. The former rain initially was that which came down upon the disciples. On the day of Pentecost. But in our lives personally. We may have the former reign. The early experiences of our, our, our experience with God. Where he, where he revives us. He brings life to us. But as we seek to know him day by day. He may finally come to us with the latter reign. So that we can go forth to share the gospel with power. Many of us are afraid. To share with people. We don't want to share with people. What will I say? I'll totally mess it up. I'll tell you what. I have... You know, I did, I did uh, full-time for years and years and years and years, did full-time door-to-door work. I can't tell you how many times I messed things up. Over and over and over. Said the wrong thing, did the wrong thing. Somebody maybe could have made the right decision if it weren't for my mistakes. Surely, to be honest with you, that happened. But if we follow on to know the Lord, even if you failed, keep going. Even if you're not the best, even if you're not the most eloquent, even if you feel like you can't do it, God will use you. And what we found, we've seen this in our own ministry, we were in a church and this man was the shyest man in the congregation. And we were doing a meeting down in Arkansas and and we said to them as we were speaking to the church before we did the meetings, we said, listen, you may be afraid to talk to the people coming to these meetings because you don't know them. But I assure you, the people coming to the meetings are more nervous than you are because you're at least here with us and you know each other. They have no idea the people here. They, when they come in, they're going to even be even more nervous. So this couple came in, and when this couple came in, they, they, they saw me, and this is a number of years ago, and I look young now, but I look way younger then. And uh, this woman came in, and when she looked at me, she said, what is this child going to teach me? And, um, and then after the meeting, the, the shyest man in the church went up to her and her husband and began to talk with them. And she told me later, praise the Lord, later she was baptized and they've done missionary work and wonderful things for God. But she told me afterwards, she, she said, I wasn't, we weren't going to come back. It, we came back because of that man who came and spoke to us. The shyest man in the church, because of him, those people are in the church today. They may be in the kingdom of God because the most afraid man in the congregation went to talk to somebody. You're going to have an opportunity to go on outreach. You may be the most most fearful person in this congregation. God will use you. He will use you if you are willing. He will rain his righteousness upon you, he will do special things. But I got to close. So, Thomas was a failure. Thomas had turned his eyes away from Jesus. Thomas had gotten to the point where the other disciples had seen the resurrected Christ and he had not seen him. So he said, I will not believe it until I reach my fingers out and I touch the holes in his hands. Unless I thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. So he was the doubter. But then when he finally came face to face with the resurrected Christ, his life was changed. His life was changed. The failure the doubter, went on, and he went off to, to North Africa, and he began to share the message in North Africa. Then he went over to India, and to this day, Indians name their children Thomas. Because of a man 2,000 years ago, who had failed miserably, but went forth, after he looked to Christ, after he kept his eyes on his the resurrected Lord, as he went forth to spread the gospel, he shared and he shared. And he got to the point, he was in a place called Kalamina in India. And as he was there, he was preaching the gospel. And it got to the point where the, the, the priests of the sun, of the sun god, began to realize that their, their ministry would be destroyed because people would no longer follow their god. They became so furious that we are told historically, it's not in the Bible. As far as I know, it's not in the spirit of prophecy. But we are told from history that they got to the point where they apprehended the, Thomas himself. And like the Hebrew worthies, he was thrown into a fire. He was burned with hot irons. And it seemed actually as if he would not die within the fire. And so the priests became furious. These priests of the sun god became so furious that they took javelins and they took arrows. And they pierced him through while he was in the fire. And Thomas yielded his life for his savior. Is he known as the doubter to the heathen? former heathen of India? No. He's known as a man of faith. You may have turned away from God. You may have failed. But Jesus is saying, come unto me. Come back to me. Yield your life to me and find the joy of the Lord. Find the peace. Find the pleasure in my ways forevermore. I want to give you a blessing. You may not have succeeded. You may have been an absolute failure. But God says, I'm going to reveal my character to the world through you. I ask that you would bow your heads just now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you can use a failure like me. Not because we deserve it. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. But we thank you that we discover we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. Father, I pray That you would help break up the fallow ground. That our roots would grow deep. That our branches would grow long. Because we cling to the Savior. I pray that you would bring forth the fruit of your righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and that that fruit would be eaten by others and that they would partake of it and it would begin to spring forth around us and that you would reveal to the heathen that you are God through the people who have failed, but as you bring life to us, that you would bring life to the world and that you would take the Laodicean church and you would give us the heart of Philadelphia, a heart of brotherly love, draw each one of us nearer to you, we pray, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.